You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, gang. Hi, gang. Welcome back for another week of Riveting Riverdale. It was so riveting. Yeah, there's not a not actually a hint of sarcasm in that statement this week. Um, I normally lovingly tease our favorite uh, favorite little dark sugar trash show of soft art, but uh, no, hot dang this week, um, hot dang. Uh, boy, did they bring the plot together. Yeah, I feel like this is the episode Ryan and I have been waiting for for over half the season. Yes. And now that we're here, I forgive all the filler episodes. <laughs> forgive. That might be too strong a word. I un- I understand. I will uh, enjoy from here on in all the filler episodes that I didn't understand the point of. Mm, 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 mm. Does yeah. that make sense? And certain plots that I, I was thinking that I wasn't sure where they were going. Um, They were going... Here. They yes. were going to today. They you were going the long to game, now. Riverdale. I'm impressed. Well done. And what a well done episode. The pacing, the the narrative beats, um, it was I did not notice sound, I did not notice uh camera work, uh in that they were consistent and on point and on mood and flawlessly integrated as such. Um there's no design elements this week that took standout focus. Um but a consistently crafted mood and ambiance. Yeah. Um, no moments felt out of place. The whole episode was just technically tight, I would say. Um, yeah, wow. Uh, that said, before we jump into this week's episode, um, I think we have a few uh, have metatextual <laughs> things to, to dig into. Um, Today, while I was sitting at my desk at my boring corporate job, Ryan sent me this... Um, by the way, Ryan doesn't know I'm about to say this, but Ryan's hair is like magically 19th century right now. It's like flopped slightly to one side and it's just very... I'm going to take a selfie of whatever this is. It's just very... If I like it. I don't know if it'll, like, you have to be able to appreciate the whole head. There's like some floof over here happening. Now this is just the selfie podcast. I don't know. Yep. Yep. Um, Eight selfies of Chloe stroking my hair. Yes. Um, uh, I was sitting at my desk at my boring corporate job, and lo and behold, Ryan sends me a YouTube video. And what was the YouTube video of Ryan? What made my little heart explode or implode, depending on, like, how you want to look at it. A beautiful Tony duet, a beautiful duet in which Tony sings a whole half a song, and then Cheryl responds in kind, and they're romantic, and they are like, intimate in a non-sexual and beautiful and sweet way, and I think somebody calls someone else their girlfriend, and it is everything. Um, and I also flash back immediately to, uh, Glee circa 2012-2013. Um, and the grander cultural context as well as a number of milestones of queer erasure and queers being left on the cutting room floor. Which is exactly where this scene ended up. Yep! Um, It was on the soundtrack, which is how people knew it existed. And after fairly intense fan pressure, uh, the scene was released. It is shared on the group. Go watch it! Um, It's beautiful. 
it I don't know why it was cut. Yeah. Like it wouldn't interrupt it the pace. It was And there were some short. Pretty garbage scenes in that episode that it could have replaced. The scene was already there. They just sang for an extra 30 seconds. So not an editing choice that I can respect. You know, sometimes I see uh, a great example is in in Star Wars, some of the deleted scenes, uh, the the new Star Wars is. Um, I watched them and thought that's a beautiful piece of storytelling that wouldn't fit in this movie. Several times over, right? Uh, I often feel about that that way about deleted scenes. I understand why it was gone. This one, no, it would have fit. Um, and it. it it's part of a pattern that um, yeah. that I think really needs uh, some ongoing destruct dis- deconstruction. So um, forgive me if if I uh, forget my coming rant and ramble. And uh, no, it's cool. All I'm gonna say before Ryan starts ranting is, fourteen year old me could have really used that scene because it's even though I've been attracted to women my whole life, it's taken me a long time to see them romantically, and it would have been nice if the culture I lived in helped me out. Okay, your turn. So yeah, with that exact lead in, <laughs> um, I immediately flash back to um, an incident called the box scene in Glee. Are you at all familiar with this? I am not familiar. You're going to have to explain it to me. So the box scene um, was, I'm not just saying that fact, for our audience. I'm saying that because <laughs> I actually don't know. Um, it spurred an activist movement. Um, in the middle, middle later sections of Glee, um, which at the time, uh, and I think still, was really quite groundbreaking in uh, representation of queer teens, in inclusion of queer teens, um, for the period five or six years ago, mm-hmm. um, it was groundbreaking. Um, Kurt Hummel was an amazing character. Um, Brittany, Santana, these these queer and bisexual and gay and lesbian uh, characters, and eventually trans characters, were, were groundbreaking. Um, oh, were trans characters on Glee? Eventually. Um, wow. I, I have a separate issue set of issues with that because I don't think the stories were handled especially well. I feel like they were very, um, very special episode-y about... Uh, content and and trans experiences, mm. um, but it was still for the time. Uh, I think radical to include in a, in your ensemble show trans characters, yeah. and um, uh, the romances between these queer teens on the show were so groundbreaking. Um, to have an ensemble show with multiple queer couples was enormous. Um, the box scene was a major turning point. Uh, in, I think, the fandom of the show. The show's quality, I think, had declined at this point. Um, it was past its best years, by far. But the box scene, um, in a major romance episode, where there were lots of plots of lots of characters, I believe it was a Valentine's Day episode, mm-hmm. um, there was one scene that was a um, a wrap-up, a resolution scene, uh, between Blaine and Kurt, these two lovely flagship gay teens of the okay. show. And it's a very sweet little scene in which um, uh, Blaine gives Kurt a promise ring made of gum wrappers or something, something sentimental in the moment. <laughs> and it's a promise ring between these wonderful characters. Um, I think there might have been a, like a quick kiss or something. A real deep show of affection. And this was cut from an episode that gave space and time to a lot of straight romances, multiple straight romances. And... Wow. Um, and in the aftermath of this scene, um, fans basically revolted. Uh, they Once it was found out that this scene existed and was cut, the community, who at this point were getting a little fed up with, I think, 
um, some of the more tokenistic attempts of the show to diversify itself, mm. um, f- fought back and said, no, 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 we need that scene. That's important to this storytelling. And went back and dissected the show intensively. Now, Glee was one of the first shows that had enough queer characters and content in an ensemble that one could break down how many queer kisses per per character per screen time, how many shows of affection, how much hand-holding mm. is happening for queer characters versus straight characters. How are these romances being uh, presented on screen um, with statistical backing by... Uh, there was there was enough variety finally to um, to actually analyze and make a comparative uh, analysis that shows there is a um, tangible difference in how queer characters are handled, even by Ryan Murphy, one of the one of the more groundbreaking uh, openly gay creators and showrunners working in television today. I would I would say he's, he's uh, for all my criticisms of him, he is comparable in influence and power to Shonda Rhimes hmm. um, to. Um, uh, um, the dude I hate who writes long-winded political monologues. Um, I which one? The newsroom. Oh, you didn't like newsroom? No. Oh, no. I hate it. It's so self-righteous. Like the first season. <laughs> but um, yeah, he's he's one of the most prominent gay creators, and he failed. Ryan Murphy failed in so many counts. But it took a show like Glee for there to be enough um, empowered fans, first of all, to notice, to recognize, and to um, to f- create facts, to find the facts and the numbers that show empirically the difference in how these relationships are handled. Something that I think any queer person knows and feels and sees intimately, but putting facts and numbers behind that argument um, is what came of this. Um... There were, and many other things came of this. Um, fans raised thousands of dollars to buy a copy of the script of this episode at a charity auction so that there would be some record of this romantic scene available for anyone who needed it, who wanted it, who wanted mm. that be the story. And eventually the creators um, released this, this scene as a deleted scene, um, bowing to the wide public pressure. Um, this momentum carried on for several years. Um, these, wow. these fans continued to fight... Uh, around the, re- the the relative issues um, that emerged from their analysis, um, m- it's one of the most impressive things about fandom to me is, is how it can actually be um, a tinderbox for these these strong um, media critical studies for these activist movements for um, these these things that can be real cause real change, um, and the box scene incident um, was I, I think a spark in a tinderbox for a much wider conversation about queer erasure um, that in recent years has taken particular form in the queers on the cutting room floor, um, on the editing room floor, um, reality and trope. Um, Black Panther cut out a short scene in which um, Ayo, who was introduced in in, um, Civil War, uh, the um, bodyguard for the previous king, um in which she casually flirts a little with uh, Okoye, uh, talking about how attractive this third character is. This very short snippet that I don't think has actually been released, but establishing that Ayo is queer, as is well established in the comic books, where she has a partner, a long-term partner, who's also a superhero character, etc., etc. This scene exists Mm. and was shot and then removed. Uh, For Ragnarok, 
to stay in the pop culture genre. A scene establishing that Valkyrie is bisexual, a woman leaving her room, um, presumably looking well satisfied or whatnot, the implication being that she'd had a relationship. The actor has said in the scene where Valkyrie um, is holding a dying comrade in her memory, that comrade in the actor's mind is her lover. Um, the subtext is put in. Uh, uh, the creators shot this scene, established this, and it was cut. Um, there are example after example after example. Um, in the new Star Trek series, one of the sequels, um, Sulu was established as gay, given a husband. They shot a scene with a kiss. The kiss was cut. Um, oh. These are all in the last several years. Um, in, a, in the particular... Uh, type of genre film of progressive but not too progressive right uh, that are shining examples of this trope and this trope goes well 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 back into queer cinema um love actually had a queer subplot um the head mistress of the school um who was established in a deleted scene i don't remember the headmistress because it was deleted her character was entirely cut she exists the, the scenes exist online in which the headmistress is sternly presented as a small supporting character and then there's a lovely scene with her and her uh her partner who is dying her dying oh, partner no. so ultimately in love actually a very problematic film um, they avoided another bury your gaze trope by cutting this but ultimately erased that plot that character and that representation altogether. There's a long history and so many examples, and it spreads um, you know, I'm using film examples which are a very different um, media medium and and a very different set of gatekeeping challenges um, but in um, Sherlock, season 3, uh, this little side scene was shot um, this scene was shot and cut. Just casual present representation of these characters in a gay club. A small throwaway inclusion. Um, this has happened for... for I had a list somewhere. Uh, Descendants 2. Disney's Descendants 2. A sequel mm. YA film. Um, a gay subplot was announced and cut. Um, there are five... Or they're announcing it. Right? Um, whereas other shows... Uh, I. Are, are making progress and doing better on these uh, accounts. Jane the Virgin is doing great at diversifying its cast. Um, there's, uh, there's other contemporary success examples, but this trope is perpetuating and re-perpetuating. And um, I'm very curious where the gatekeeping is happening. Um, the fact that it is consistently happening in editorial rooms suggests to me that yeah. this is becoming, this is a particular corporate gatekeeper, especially when we're looking at these big blockbuster franchises where there's this consistent argument, uh, several several major markets and countries which will ban shows with explicit gay content. Beauty and the Beast was removed from theaters in Malaysia. China has refused several films or insisted on cuts on several films in recent mm -hmm. years, including uh, on-screen gay kisses and romance. Um, and there's always this question of the split of pandering to game to, to international markets or using international markets as an excuse not to push these boundaries. Um, children's cartoons like Adventure Time and Korra, uh, have both, the creators have discussed, um, quite candidly how, uh, they had, had limitations on what they could, could show on screen because of international markets, um, I think it's a cop-out, personally, um, but I also think it, it is probably a vocalization and a tagline that 
is um Right, that excuse one is, of the, is, 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 is as old as the hills. Like, they used to not be able to show movies in the South that had exactly black characters in it. And, like, we, we got through that fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we Well, we're working on it. We're working on it. But that particular roadblock has been removed. Yeah. Yeah. Or moved on to new, slightly more subtle forms, um, at least. Yes. But changing. Um, yeah, so that's my big long rant about this in general. And um, I'm heartened by the fact that that creators are shooting these scenes. They are filming these scenes. They are writing these scenes. They are creating them. They exist and they're releasing them at least online. They should be in the mainstream, in the, in the, in the theatrical releases, on the television releases. They mm-hmm. should be there. Mm-hmm. Um, they 100% belong there. But I'm glad they exist. Um, and um, I am especially glad that this pattern is helping us refocus where activist pressure needs to be, where this conversation needs to be. Um, Because I think when we are able to recognize where the gatekeeping is happening, we are better able to focus and challenge those those issues at hand. Um, A great example... um, Slightly tangentially, but but relevant is is um, a discussion panel I I attended uh, several years ago at a Harry Potter convention, um, in which uh, five or six published YA authors, uh, as well as several um, literary agents and um, editors, sat and discussed. Um, the subject was um, artists who transitioned from writing fan fiction to writing published fiction, and um, the subject came up in the question period of. Um, Many of you write queer characters, write very diverse stories and perspectives. Uh, many of fanfic often includes these, and how the gatekeeping changed moving from fanfic to publishing. Um, what I found fascinating in that conversation is across the board, um, authors, the authors, the agents, and the editors all felt that in their level, gatekeeping had drastically diminished. That at no point had any of them personally experienced a direct no or reached the the vague corporate, you know, we can't do that right now. We think we need to tone this down. You know, the, the coded language of discrimination. None of these people had had those personal experiences. And yet everyone talked about the internalized assumptions of gatekeeping that they brought to the table that were limiting in what they attempted or challenged Oh, that's um, interesting. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. That in, in a field like publishing in particular, it, it may be small enough in some ways that um, there are not these, you know, we're not talking billions of dollars with a YA book. We're talking millions. And that scale um, made the difference of how many gatekeepers were in place. In that case, a lot of the gatekeepers institutionally and systemically had been broke down, broken down, uh, but cultural assumptions inherent at each level were keeping writers from being quite as bold as they otherwise might be, or as they have been in something like fan fiction. It was keeping editors from asking for things or encouraging things in their authors that they otherwise might have been very interested in. Um, so that's a little, yeah, a little, to go a little tangential, but dealing with this larging, larger changing pattern of where the gatekeeping is that prevents us from achieving the diverse representation that we deserve and want. There's my rant about where that scene fits. Um, that I th- was an awesome rant, and I appreciated it a great deal. Thank you. That feels good to get out. Um, <laughs> I think it is... Um, I'm still celebrating the representation that Tony and Cheryl are. I'm celebrating that that story is here, that w- that they are sharing screen with Kevin, with Fangs, with Moose, with um, ad- other queer characters. 
Um, and I think it's all the more important to um, bring these criticisms in a in a a thought out analytical pro- productive way, especially when we think a sh- when a show is doing well otherwise. I think mm-hmm, it is mm-hmm. all the more important um, because no one's you know no one's criticizing the crappy. Oh, bro, dad uh, has t- trouble and doesn't understand his wife. Sitcoms, the um, the heteronormative tropes. No one's pushing for those to push the the line. Whereas the shows that have shown an openness and enthusiasm for this, I feel like not only are they the only people who will, um, the only people who can, um, the only people who can do these shows right, these characters, these stories right, but. Um, they've sort of primed their audience. Uh, and I think it is a common problem that uh, problem for creators that their audience progressively outstrips them when they show a hint of progressiveness, right? We're so yeah. hungry for a few queer characters that we huddle around and forget the flawed and slow, steady trudge of progress that these artists are working within. Hmm. Yeah, so I think they can do better, and they should do better, and they will do better. Yes. Um, And we need to keep uh, saying very loudly, while Riverdale people are in earshot, Yeah. don't cut the gaze. Yeah, don't cut the gaze. Mm -hmm. You noticed Tony wasn't in the episode we saw this week? I did. That was the only drawback. Gaze gonna cut you back. To be fair, it looked like, it did look like, um... Like, she just couldn't be booked for the episode. It didn't look like Will. Like, she wasn't even in the background shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, She's Canadian, that actor. Is she? Good. Yeah. I'm so glad that a, a few local actors are, are getting uh, some coverage and growth. Um, too often, too often Vancouver actors only get the one-liners and the bit roles and the non-recurrings. So it's great to see, uh, see Canadian actors getting yes. some meat. Um, um, but, mm-hmm. uh, to sort of respond briefly to what Ryan said is that, like, I, um, am unsurprised by the history and this history in television of cutting queers. What surprises me, oddly mm-hmm. enough, is that it was attempted in the first place and then cut. Mm, yeah. That's where I'm very interested in, in, um, talking about and looking at where the gatekeeping is, where it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, because, again, editing room cuts, they suggest to me producer, executive producer meddling, potentially, uh, potentially studio meddling, potentially, uh, network meddling. But I think it's also very possible. And I have been guilty of this as a creator several times over where, um, you cut something and you don't realize how valuable it is to fans or to the story or to the characters. You don't realize that you're underplaying your, your queer characters quite often. I have done this, uh, as a creator in web series, in, in theater, um, I've been guilty of that, and um, that's one of the reasons it's such an interesting subject of reflection for me. Um, it's so easy to unknowingly underutilize, underplay, undersell, underrepresent your queer characters. Um, we all, as queer artists, carry these internalized um, systemic biases, these tropes that we fall into. These um, we've we've learned how to art from this same problematic body of media. No matter how much I try, I, I, I cannot uh, watch 100% queer media. And I try. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the last two years, I have, I have responded to every single recommendation of a book, film, or television show with how gay is it? Because I'm not interested in taking recommendations that aren't queer. 
I will find way too much that is heteronormative and not queer inclusive all on my own. Um, <laughs> yeah, just default. Net, the default will bias to not enough queers. So I'm not interested in taking recommendations right now that aren't representative and diverse. Fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I have another subject that I think needs a little quick a touch on. What? Um, I want to touch on what Fairleigh brought up last week about the... Oh, the, Midge. Yeah, the yeah. use of Midge as a character. So, um, I, uh, I'm of two minds about that. One is very, very selfish and mm-hmm. ap- apolitical, mm-hmm. and the other one is political and, um, in accord with Fairleigh. I do think Fairleigh points out an important thing was that, like... Mm. Let's have a minor female character whose sole purpose is to be a distraction to a bisexual, potentially gay character, and then be killed. That mm-hmm. is problematic. Yep. But, but, mm-hmm. um, I, by the same token, I think it's unfair to look at the character of Moose and um, make Midge... Um, make a political statement out of Midge hmm. that is more important than the political statement of Moose because mm-hmm. um, in the context of Midge and Moose looking heterosexual, I'm more interested in the point that's being made about Moose than about Midge. So there's mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, that's my that's my personal feedback, and I feel kind of like I'm letting the sisterhood down when I say that. I'm sorry, Midge. But um, and my other... and. Um, but I do, I do see Fairless point. I do think it's important. One thing I appreciate is that her death was not sexualized in any way. Like if you're going to mm-hmm. kill a female character, yeah. like the fact that she wasn't strangled, or, or yeah, or didn't have her like, sexy you know, or... yeah, her head back at some sort yeah. of sexy angle, the way women always seem to do when they're a corpse in film. Mm-hmm. And um, but my other, my other thought was they needed a death, and mm-hmm. in terms of the plot, that is a character they could lose. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, could have been Fangs, could have been, but then it's a gay, de- a dead yep. gay person. Yep. Instead of, um, you know, I don't know, like, they could have killed Hal Cooper, except we think there's plans for Hal Cooper, but anyway. Yeah. Um, I think they wrote themselves into this corner, and I think there are um, considerations that should have been taken a while ago in the plotting, um, because I think Midge is a problematic character to put in this position mm-hmm. um, because of the character's history as a, a young woman with no personality and voice except for being <sighs> in really an emotionally abusive relationship with a man who is violent and jealous. That is... What, Moose is violent? Oh, in, yes. In the comics, that's their entire shtick classically, right? Is that but Moose, that's not in this Moose show. beats up anyone who looks at Midge twice, right? That's the, the comic book shtick, classically. I agree. They did that better in the show. Um, mm. But this show took a couple, took a man who is a, cl- classically an abusive, troubled character uh, steeped in masculinity issues, and uh, made him very interesting and nuanced and layered and dynamic and bi- and presumably bisexual or at least questioning. Mm-hmm. And then they took the woman in that couple and gave her no screen time, yeah, no plot. That's true. Let her serve functions and several other people's plots and then killed her the moment she's given a, a blink of spotlight. Yeah, um, that's true. I You're think right. Moose and Midge are 
comparably bland in the comics, comparably comparably two dimensional. Um, and the choice to do some, do a lot with Moose and not much with Midge, I think, is a problem. That's fair. Mm-hmm. That's a good rebuttal for what I just said. Thank mm. you. I I think what you just said is exactly correct for the show that has for for where this show began at this season. I think the problems are more deeply rooted in in a slow creep of not giving enough for Midge to do over all of season one, over the presentation establishment of her and Moose. Um, I think it is the problem they set up for themselves. I think she's the right person to go in the narrative that they've created, but they got themselves here. Right. Yeah, they built this house. So that's my issue. Um, And I raise these because I think this show can do better, will do better, can learn, can grow. Um, Unlike a show like The Hundred last year, which made horrible overtures to its queer audience and then screwed them over. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this show still uh, can continue to grow and, and improve itself. I think it's still doing good things and pushing new ground. And uh, that's why I think it's so important to talk about and call out these issues and problems as they are emerging. Riverdale can do better. Okay. Yeah. I buy it. Thank you. Yeah. I buy it. Thank you for giving me space and time to ramble, Chloe and gang. Um, <laughs> I feel like I should put a timestamp to Ryan stops prostatizing and gets off the soapbox uh, at about uh, probably like twenty-five. I really love that you just combined the words processing and proselytizing. That was really <laughs> awesome. That's like my new thing now. I'm going to process <laughs> and proselytize at the same time. Excellent. That's excellent, especially on air. Um, shall we watch this episode, gang? Let's watch this episode, gang. This is really, really good and interesting and sharp and... Gah! This episode. This episode was good. Ready, Chloe? So ready. All right. And getting ready for the... Boom! Netflix! Boom! Bah! Watch time on Riverdale. All the plot! Yeah. Ugh. So we're back to the Black Hood. Um, boy howdy... I didn't think I would like when we got back to the Black Hood plot, but... No, it's good. Boy, was I surprised. I was surprised to see Nick St. Clair in these, um... Yeah. In this, uh, thing. What's it? Mm-hmm. The recap? Recap. Thank you. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, I was also completely taken by surprise. Um, I didn't think that would tie in, and what great timing. So here's this lovely picture of Midge, and here's these... Morning vixens. Yeah, Tony isn't even in the shot. I think they probably couldn't book her. Yeah. Or just um, didn't want to pay day wages for that one. Yeah. Let's be real. Ensemble shows are hard, but also they don't pay the young actors crap. So, uh, I presume that's not, uh, that's not harp. actual background knowledge. I didn't notice a harp last time. Oh. There's a harp. I like that there is apparently a vixen's morning outfit. I know. And these pre-established, somber, like somber black pom poms. I'm assuming they didn't get this printed in the time between the death and the funeral. Um, also, wow, when was this shot with that much snow? <laughs> yeah, I was just wondering that. <sighs> yeah. Oh, here's this. Here's like the recap within the show of um, mm-hmm. uh, Sheriff, Sheriff Keller, Keller interrogating trying. people. Yeah. Essentially. I think summing up where we were at last time and what happened, what we as the audience need to be spoon-fed, mm-hmm. but in a more interesting way. 
I like this circular shot. Yeah, it's well done. Yeah. I was expecting a little bit more, um, actually, from the previews from what happened last week. I was expecting a little bit more of a sleuthy whodunit, um, especially with this lead-in. Yeah. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised that uh, instead we sort of... This, the episodes that I chose to focus in on these really intense, intimate um, crisis points that each of the characters are experiencing. Yeah. Um, Moose is fudging here, I think. Hmm. And I think it has to do with that Moose, Fangs, Midge thing at the end of the last episode that eventually I hope we'll get, even though it wasn't really made reference to in this episode. Yeah, I I think we can go back to that for sure Um, in the next four episodes, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'm really pleased that they are um, upping the stakes so effectively with this much time left in the season. Like, the timing, um, I think, is really well done in the season. That we still have um, enough time to explore everything that's been laid out in front of us. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of meat to take us into the end um, has been spread out. And I, I, I feel like it's going to be a fairly intensive few episodes from here on. Based is, on what we were set up for. Is Cheryl wearing black, elegant biker gloves? Also, spider brooch. Speech. Ugh. She has a spectacular spider brooch on for some reason. She's wearing what she always wears, right? Oh, Cheryl, you didn't actually have um, a place to speak here, I think, but no one's going to say that to you. <laughs> yeah, that's some suit they put KJ Abbott in, I gotta say. Mm hmm. I can't blame people for being so angry with Sheriff Keller in this moment, I gotta say. Yeah, I also think that he probably shouldn't have gone up to a grieving mother at a funeral. Yeah, not not the slickest move, Um, Tom. Tom, now that we have your name. Uh, Like, I I think the criticism is real fair here. I don't know how much more he could have done, but I also don't... uh, Like, the show hasn't gone intensively into the... um, issues of staffing and budgeting in this local municipal police department. That's a different subject that's probably more interesting to me than anyone else. I thought thought sheriffs were just sheriffs. I thought that maybe... um, I, like, I don't know why there isn't a private detective or something. Or not a private detective, sorry. Like, a detective on staff taking care of this. I mean, it... (sighs) Do sheriffs have detective powers? Like, I don't know. Like... I think in the U.S. there's much more variance in um, county-to-county uh, law-keeping, mm. um, county-to-county and state-to-state, partially because there's no such thing as the RCMP, right? Right. Um, whereas we have this federal agency that does the majority of rural policing in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, in America, it is much more cobbled together between state uh, state trooper municipal departments. And um, in many regions, sheriff is a, a, an elected position, right? Yeah. I, I don't get the sense that's the case in Riverdale, and I don't think that's the case in many places. Um, and in Canada, sheriff is a completely different um, legal role, legal entity. Um, sheriffs get involved in foreclosures, in uh, repossession of cars, of um, property crimes and whatnot. Yeah. Um, whereas I think it, it suggested to me that sheriff is comparable to police chief as a municipal appointed role in Riverdale. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. 
So here's uh, here's Archie trying to figure out the like like he knows he he's got the same instincts as uh, Jughead and mm-hmm. uh, Betty I think and that he's like I <laughs> At know this, this point. isn't I know this isn't something. <laughs> oh, good going, friend. Yes, this isn't necessarily. <laughs> Not quite in the mood of the the, no. the scene at the moment. No, we're just um, filming. I love recording how Veronica is like very carefully treading around. Like, please don't start another militia. <laughs> Without explicitly please, saying, please don't. And of course, Archie's got militia face on. And here, he does. Oh, here's the sheriff. Oh, well, sheriff. So unfortunate and awkward. Um, Alice Cooper, starring role and spectacular work this episode. Yeah. Um, Madshin has done some big breakdowns this season, but this episode is so tightly presenting, you know, her containing her intensity of the, of experience and, and playing through this. Ah, Alice Cooper is on fire this episode. Not literally. I wouldn't put that past like the, the show. shot, by the way, this like <laughs> foggy shot. Mm-hmm. Of, um, I love how they of always have a vintage, vintage car in the background somewhere. Yeah. I think it's fun. Of course, here we think this is the Black Hood, but we kind of know it isn't. And then yeah, the, the fake reveal out of, it. of who it is is... Caught me. I was surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Effectively so done. This kind of baiting of Archie and then a few other people showing up. Um, it was interesting. Like I, I kind of felt immediately, oh yeah, it's not the Black Hood when multiple people showed up. And it's it's interesting the way the show has actually already set up its own internal rules that it follows in that way. Yeah, of totally. how this narrative is happening, um, the the mythos of the Black Hood and everything that means. It now has like codified expectations. I love how um, Archie is just so worried about his dad's safety, and his dad mm-hmm. never goes like, mm-hmm. you know, I should really be protecting you. <laughs> He does that with his actions consistently. Uh, yeah, I don't know if Fred Andrews is... He's kind of a talking about his feels, Dad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do think he does that with his actions pretty consistently. Um, I also think, like, as an array of teens coping with death, this episode also did some good things. Mm-hmm. Um, also, yeah. this scene with Veronica and her parents... Yeah. Where her parents are, like, being very intentional and obvious about, mm-hmm. like, showing their hand. Yeah. This seemed, like, a little, on like, out of character even for them to let Veronica sort of see just how manipulative they are. Mm. I... It read to me that they are, in fact, in a situation where they can't do much. And therefore, there's, like, a, a degree of transparency to their strategies. Maybe that's more to do with the, the, the next plot point with the Nick Sinclair reappearal. Yeah. Re- reappearance. Um, yeah, this chick murder plot uh, come back to haunt. Oh, the intensity of the Cooper women here. Yeah. Uh, really delights me. Again, I'm, I'm loving the Betty and Alice dynamic. Like, seeing them side by side coping with crises in ways that, like, their relationship is shown so well in how they cope in crisis, I think. And I honestly like cold, scary Betty. 
Yeah. This I do this too. episode, she works so well for me. Yeah. She's so interesting and powerful. And, and what vindication for that character, you know, being a right? nice girl for mm-hmm. literal decades and she gets a chance to be mm-hmm. a bit nasty. Yeah. But strong. Hashtag so. nasty woman. Mm-hmm. That movement was problematic, but like also hashtag nasty woman. Yeah, came from an important place. Cheryl and Hermione. Yeah. Scheming together. Yeah. These two could like burn the world down if they yeah, if they had they similar also goals. Really, like <laughs> been in the same room all that much. And here we are at the I order. I was not expecting this reveal. Also, um, Betty, I'm calling bullshit on you leaving the gay conversion program yeah. running. Betty, that's not blackmail material. That's morally wrong. Yes. Free the queer babies, Betty. Free the queer babies. You are literally abetting hate crime. Yeah. By walking away right now. But, like, good threat, but do it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Good threat. Do it anyway. Like, both y'all. Juggy, come on. Cheryl, you're a first-hand frickin' witness of being committed against your will. Although, to be fair, um... Strictly speaking, nothing they're doing is illegal, and telling the cops might not actually lead to any outcome whatsoever. True. Um, they should... Pr- I don't think the FBI cares about gay conversion therapy all that much, to be honest. They should print it in the blue and gold, is what they should do. Yeah, or like on and social cause a public media, fuss. which they all seem to ignore. <laughs> um, so here's this reveal that Chick is not Chick. Yeah. I'm like, I assumed he was Alice's kid, and that yeah. was going to have a thing. Same. I didn't expect him to be, like, full-scale imposter. Yeah, I was also surprised by that twist. Also, I was int- I wanted that character to be less a straight villain than he was, ultimately. No, they've made too many mistakes with him to let him be... Yeah, the to actual, redeem him. The actual troubled brother. I completely agree. Um, so I'm kind of glad that they just made him into a scary villain. Yeah. Um, that we then feel sorry for in the end for a split second, which you will see. Mm-hmm. Here we are about to get the reveal of who is in this scary looking hood. It's not the black hood, even though it's a black hood. There is the and ominous coincidence cronies. that they picked him up right there at the black hood creepy house. But that's probably presumably just because Archie led them to it. <laughs> In his investigations, right? And the confrontation where everything goes scary and Betty kicks some butt. Yes. I love this scene. Um, I don't know who ends up bleeding in this scene. Yeah, actually, they didn't use that properly much, really. But let's watch very closely as Betty confronts uh, quote-unquote chick. Alice processes the um, tragic like, Oedipus discovering he's married to his mother, kind of a miserable, horrible realization. Yeah. About this boy who she's been desperate to connect with. I love that they both look at the knife. Yeah. Yeah, we don't see who gets a cut. Yeah, I think it's Alice, just on her arm. Betty smacks him into straight KO. Yeah. Oh, nice one, Betty. I, I honestly love that he is legitimately afraid of Betty, and she rises as to that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. And then Veronica. Uh, yeah. Oh my god, this is all plot, this episode. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, all four of our, our, our big four each come to a real crisis head. Yeah. Um, Jugs is, I, I would say, the least in focus here. But I yeah. think, um, his, his, his partnering with Betty in that mystery, I think, is the subject uh, that is being escalated in this. We'll get to that shortly when he in his scene with with FP. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I. Veronica's plot being separate but comparable in stakes, I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um. From the Betty one. I also like so this actor who plays Nick Sinclair is so good looking that yeah. when he's mean he's ugly. Yes. And that's a real gift for an actor. Yeah. I think. I am. Yeah. I also love, okay, I love the reasons that Hiram gives Hermione for not doing anything about this. Totally. It's like the most rational decision he's made since he walked into frame on the show. It's also really, I find it really nice seeing the um, the ways in which the Lodge's hands are tied, um, seeing the rules by which they are abiding, constrict mm-hmm. them in some way, mm-hmm. I think is is a really valuable bit of plot for us to see. We we now understand kind of the stakes and their limitations. Yeah. As otherwise a driving antagonistic force in this season. Yeah, Archie's not blood. He can't actually protect them. Ugh. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um. Hmm. This is just yeah. a good lingering moment. Yeah, they're so uncomfortable because they're both parents. Yeah. Like, they know Archie's some someone's kid. Someone they know, even. Yeah, and what this will blow back in Veronica. Like, but playing this out in their mind, Archie's gonna die. Yeah. Is what they determine in that moment, right? Yeah. Um, And so their daughter's boyfriend is going to be murdered by their rivals, slash her, uh, the man who attempted to rape her. Yeah. That's, that's some trauma to watch your daughter go through. Yeah. Um... Thankfully, Veronica is competent as hell and deals with this. Yeah. So this is an interesting choice that they make. Yeah. Is that they they don't know, (laughs) like... Well, what's interesting about it is that no one in this room trusts the cops. These two nice middle-class white ladies, the Mm -hmm. serpent. Yep. You know, they all are just like, Mm -hmm. we're going to take care of this through communal justice. It, this scene reminds me so much of um, Shonda Rhimes' How to Get Away with Murder. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Yeah. I the, still haven't seen the third season of that. The way in which these characters have gotten to the point that they are duct-taping a human in their basement and beating him up. Oh, yeah. What a place for them to get to, these cheery Riverdale kids. I'm kind of okay with with Chick's motivation in this. Like, he's clearly a... You know, like, a, a very cold person who mm-hmm. has survived some stuff. Um, I'm glad they didn't explicitly make it a partnership, because killing gays is always risky and problematic. Yeah. Um, and I... It's also never really established that this chick is, is gay. He just is mm-hmm. a camboy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He is oh, a sex worker acting. who works with men, but... Yeah. Yeah. Um, such acting from this 
Oh, imagine. From this this actor, like it's just so. Yeah. Like, she does such a great job with these what could be very corny lines if they were delivered incorrectly. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm honestly hoping that she um, gets a nice career boost that she deserves from her work on this show because um, I haven't seen her. Like, I don't know her body of work except for her, her teen, um, you know, her, from that iconic early 90s, late 80s period. Yeah. Um, also, I just realized she... parents are... Yeah, Black. she lies about something... Yeah. ...in an earlier episode that I'm going to come to when Nick Sinclair isn't on the screen. <laughs> cool. I love that RG tries to bargain with this guy and be like, my dad might not be safe. You really think this guy is going right. to care? Yeah, well, it, he's not. Yeah. It's like this, this, this. I hesitate to say it, but this goodness that Archie's still got going on, this kind of naivety or innocence that mm-hmm. he still believes an appeal to humanity might get somewhere. Um, he's also thoughtless enough to say, "I'll kill you." Yeah, like, yeah, Archie's not actually playing this game. Yeah, nor does he know how. Right, that's rarely been more apparent to me than this scene in this episode. Um, I think a very natural way to escalate the the mob stakes as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, laying it out that murder is where we're at now. And uh, I think a very natural build from Archie's experiences with the Lodge mob up to now. Yeah. I love... I love that this little moment where she, her, she guesses the um, code because it's her birthday. <laughs> Always my birthday, and there isn't enough money there. I I took that as something of a double meaning that it is almost always my birthday as she takes wads of cash from her parents. Oh, that's cute. I like that. Yep. <laughs> yep. 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 Hmm. Yeah. Me at that delightful chocolate shop of yours for a hostage exchange. Whee! That I like that Veronica is in over her depth. That you see, she knows it, and she doesn't want to be here, right? Yeah. But they they let they let Camila Mendez show this in the silences and in the breath in between, yeah. and I think that is um, spectacular pacing for television. Yeah, to give your characters room to room in stillness is unusual by the way i was just thinking we haven't had a lot of plot that has to do with his sexuality for kevin it's true that much since the 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 token episode Mm -hmm. earlier but of all the plots to give a gay character that show them doing something that they're not a queer character that they're where they're not um Mm -hmm. just there to be gay Mm -hmm. i think this is a good one like supporting Mm. their parent Joining a political campaign. Especially, like, a same-sex parent who might have a problem. You know what I mean? Like, I think this is a good... Yeah. A good plot. I I agree with you. Um, Every time they add some dynamic to Kevin that has nothing to do with his sexuality, I am pleased. I am here for it and excited by it. Which can, I mean, can go both ways, because if it's just not his sexuality, then that's also problematic. So, anyway. I... I'm really, um thrilled by a a character who can be presently actively openly queer Mm 
mm-hmm. while having plots that have nothing to do with it. So little things like this this slow building background flirtation with fangs, the mm-hmm, issue with moose, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as long as they continue to give nods to that, give space to that, and let it be explicit in playing out occasionally, yeah. I just need it to be the light, fun, fluffy, romantic B-plot for an episode or two. And other than that, I'm actually really happy with Kevin's A-plot not having anything to do with that. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Um, I feel that. Yeah, ignoring this hostage exchange, because it's just... Yeah, because it's Nick so gross. Nick so is just gross. like, give me your sex. Yep. I, um, this plot didn't make me feel greasy, skeezy. I mean, this, this, this feels this feels yeah. skeezy, but the resolution of it, yeah. like if they've resolved it, like where, the last like, time, Veronica the... sacrifices herself, like it would just no. The group beating by the pussy cats that resolved the last time they touched on this plot. Yeah. Man, these two actors have chemistry. Oh my gosh, um, FP. Skeet Ulrich and Madeline Petch, they just have this... Anyway, here's... It's like he's holding so, himself back okay. and swooping in, and he knows... Ah! I know, I know, it's so Of cute. course I remember. Um, so, oh. um... It's... Uh... It's okay, so she lies earlier in the season and tells Betty there's no way it's FP. Yeah. She protects Betty by making sure, like, Betty mm-hmm. isn't uncomfortable. Yep. All the time she, know, she knows that yep. Chick is... Their half brother that they share, Jughead and Betty. Yeah. Oh. And I love uh, the reaction Skeet Ulrich are giving here. Like, I just can't. Whoa. Like, just whoa. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, show you made me care about some straights. (laughs) How you do that? (laughs) I don't have that problem. I still care about the straights. I'm a bad queer. Like Bughead. I do. You're a great queer. You're 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 a great pan. You love. Old romances. That's true. I actually do love old romances. <laughs> oh, that was a beautiful scene. I yeah. want them to be together and be happy, and for lovely Alice to grow as a person, lovely, and for FP lovely, to lovely, have a white picket lovely, fence. Lovely, I want FP to get a white lovely, picket fence and not remember, not forget his roots, and still just like bring the yeah. bring the south side and the north side together. Oh, hi, Betty. Do you remember me? Betty just looks so sad. Mm-hmm. And she, like she know it's she knew it was coming. Deep down, you knew just watching over. Ugh. I love that she's mad about Midge. You killed Midge. Mm-hmm. And she's um, but so different from the last time around. She's immediately going toe to toe. Yeah. She's immediately playing the game. With confidence, left, power, and Wait a minute. Coolness. Okay, so if the Black Hood is who we think it is by the end of this episode, she just left this note on her own fridge. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to point that out. Uh-huh. Yep. Why doesn't she tell Jughead? <sighs> what do you think? Here she says, no, it's my dad. I, yeah. I I actually think it's it's that she's playing his game, and she's she's already... Um, entertaining the option of handing Chick right over. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, maybe. Which I don't think she would want to share with Jug, but I think she wouldn't want to implicate Jug in. Yeah. In 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 the exact same way her mother would rather not implicate her. Right. Right? That makes sense. 
So here's, you know, here's Nick being like the worst kind of human and like tying up a boyfriend and then like opening a thing and where I'm going to have sex with your girlfriend. And I say this as if I'm bored, but this kind of stuff does happen. I've actually read some really horrid accounts of this, some similar situations. Um, Real life account, except not to let the show to go to a really grim place, but instead of a live feed, it's like live. Uh-huh. <laughs> quite um so the man world, humans the, are awful sometimes yes, uh, the world is a sick place and it's terrible um as and, we know and this is also like i like that they let archie be someone who wants to go save veronica and mm. and that veronica saves herself eventually i'm just going to spoil that yep i i um, agree completely with that both of those uh narrative strokes are important to the characters and to our relationships with them. Yeah. I think it is a very genuine Archie thing that the thing that makes him break the chair, ultimately, is he needs to help someone. Yeah. I think that is right. Yeah. And like, and I also love that Veronica ends up having it totally under control. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I didn't... I also didn't doubt for a second she would. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, again... I didn't either, actually. That's, yeah. that's a way in which I am trusting the show. I don't think they're going to let the worst happen on certain issues. I trust them not to... But again, I mean, to be fair, Midge's death could have, could have been a triggering and problematic moment. Mm-hmm. But I think with the, the characters who they know and love and are treating as leads, you know, like, I honestly don't fear for Tony's life on this show. Oh. I, I honestly don't. Interesting. I yeah. don't think they would do that to her character, do something horrible to her character. Yeah, that- don't pull a tear and willow on me, please. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I actually believe they would not do that. Um, don't prove me wrong, Riverdale. That's not yeah. a challenge. Just saying. Yeah. Um, back to the chick interrogation. Yeah, so chick is, we think, mer- like, murdered mm-hmm. Charles Smith, Betty's actual brother. Mm-hmm. Oh man, Jughead gets <sighs> so mad at him. I love yeah. that they have a. I had. I love that they have a moment where he's like not that used to punching someone. Mm-hmm. Did you see his hand at the corner of the shot? Yeah. Like it's really like Jughead has these moments of violence, but it's really not deep in in his character. The way that's in Betty's well, character. Betty. It, yeah. Look at Betty grabbing Chick's throat, unflinchingly choking him. Again, like this isn't a good thing, but I'm so impressed by Betty, the girl next door. With mm-hmm. the iconic ponytail, getting to be coldly violent. Yeah. For necessity. Yeah. Right? And really only in necessity. But it's like, you know, you you drop these characters in a war zone, Archie's going to get shot first thing, Veronica's going to get shot trying to figure it out, Jughead is going to flinch, and Betty is going to be a machine. Yeah. Um, I, one plot hole that I'm not sure on. Wow, there's that gun. The gun has to go off. Mm-hmm. Or it has to get, at least get used. I. It's interesting. I feel like in a significant way, this is kind of the same Chekhov gun as the one we threw into Sweetwater River, right? Yeah. It's a different one. Yeah. But it's, it's the same Chekhov gun. I love that there's always a fire going in this house. Something is always mm. bubbling under the surface. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I, I associate that more with the lodges, personally. Yeah. So here's this offer. Yeah. The Black Hood says, 
Will you give me Chick? Will you let justice be done? Actually, I usually think of the the Cooper home as much cleaner and brighter lit. Mm. And the fact that this is the scene where we're getting these warm tones yeah. and these heavy, heavy shadows yeah. is is interesting. I me. love what FP does here. FP doesn't rescue them. He just yeah. takes his kid out. Yeah. Yeah. Even, I like that even with the reveal so about his and Alice's son. What a beautiful moment for Jughead's arc. Yeah. Jughead and FP who like I'm 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 this episode I'm really 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 seeing their family arc their connected arc together yeah. the same way Alice and Betty's arc has been so intimately together the same way Veronica and her parents Archie and Fred yeah. um I also think Alice gave I think FP and Alice off stage were like okay like how do we keep the kids out of this yeah 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 at this point they seem if anyone all in together if anyone is, right? Uh, this is all of our lives now. Champagne, caviar, pate. You'd have bad breath at the end of all that. You don't want to make out with her. Uh, I'm almost surprised there's no oysters. No, <laughs> that would have that escalated the creepy in a bad way. It would have. But I kind of would have been okay with, like, Nick Sinclair sucking an oyster out of a shell and then being mm-hmm. like, what a dance. <laughs> Suck an oyster full of rohypnol, Nick. Uh, okay, where does she get it from? Her locket. No, where did, no, like where? Money. Does she buy it in the street? Oh, she does. Presumably. She does buy Jingle Jangle. Yeah, she's, she's okay, established. She yeah. Veronica Lodge knows how to get club drugs. <laughs> That's established. Oh, Clink. she also gives it to him in champagne, which is what he gave it to Sherilyn. Yup. Oh, nice touch, Riverdale. Mm-hmm. Very nicely subtle, Veronica. Hmm. Also, I love the like the the femme version of roofing is like, I'll just lay you down on the floor and then I'll tie you up. <laughs> yep. And ransom you for money. Standing, but I'm not gonna standing touch your over body. you in my heels. I'm not gonna touch your body. <sighs> yep. Cool. I also love this little escape thing. Like he he I love mm-hmm. like Watching characters figure things out without dialogue is one of my, like, favorite pieces of film acting, because it's yeah. a little harder to do on stage. Totally. Yeah. And this episode leans into that. Yeah. Um, also that? What an Archie thing. What an Archie success to, through sheer stubbornness and out of, like, love and worry, to break the chair. Yes. Like, I don't often give Archie credit. For a lot. Yeah, but he's a jock. I mean, like he has a mechanical dad. You know, he's like, yeah. oh, I see how the chair works. This is the he true. This muscles. is the true Gryffindor hero moment. For oh him, yeah, right? totally. This is such a Harry Potter moment. Yeah, like literal lead character Harry Potter. Yep. There he goes. Bye, Harry. <laughs> I also love that. Like Nick kind of sees this as a seduction. Yeah, he like doesn't see it as coercion. As if they're starting like, a fine, mob partnership. Yeah, we're fine getting to where we should be, Veronica. Mm-hmm. As if this is the start of what will end with a merger of the families or something. Yeah. Or them, <sighs> them getting together and her going back to New York with him. Yeah. Yeah. Like that nuance is really I mean, he's really also there. milking it because he thinks that Archie's watching. Yes. And he's a sick, awful human. But, yeah, I think that real authentic tone is there. That note. Yeah. <sighs> 
something that <laughs> I love that this perfume is called Diabolique. <laughs> I love the balance of how this is shown because it's not being built up as a heroic rescue as much as it could be. Mm-hmm. They're not milking, will Archie be in time? But they're letting the, 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 the pace slow build across all the plots together. What's he wearing? What's, what's Hal Cooper wearing? Jacket, v-neck, burgundy-ish shirt, I think, in the darkness. Okay. burgundy or like, dull color. Um, yeah. Is he wearing the same thing as the Red Hood? Black Hood? Red Hood is from Batman comics. He asked about Betty. He just asked about Betty's, like, moral status. What about Betty? Yeah. Does she know? Yeah. <sighs> and you called it when we were watching... So much for no secrets. Yeah. But also, yeah. God, now I have to pay attention to the nuances of Hal Cooper. Nah. Dang it. Yeah, where'd you get that gun? I honest, I love that he is truly, legitimately afraid of Betty with good reason. And I think she'd pull that trigger if she had to. Yeah. I, I also just realized that she got... She's been holding on to that gun since Miss Grundy. Yep, since last season. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Lily Reinhardt. Yeah. Cold and steady. I am impressed with her work this episode. Like, not not as much as Munchin, but yeah. But I am impressed. They oh, they do such a good job of like Archie being viscerally desperate. Yeah. Here, in a way, I believe. Yeah. Without milking it. Yeah. Hmm. Like, he's, like, I, I really, what they do with this character, what KJ, I don't know who's doing it, director KJ Apper, both, mm-hmm. is he's not there, like, I don't, I don't feel any hint of possessiveness. I yeah. feel like I want to make sure Veronica is okay. Yes, exactly. In a, in a way that, like, I find very refreshing. And a, a very tough nuance to play. Yeah. In this moment dynamic. Because, like, because the, he is a straight dude and, like, he does mm-hmm. want to protect her. Yep. You know? But he beco- immediately becomes her, her left hand while she calls in the ransom yeah. that she arranged That's personally. That's true. Yeah. Um, that's going to bite her in the butt. Oh, no yeah. doubt about that. Um, but I'm impressed she did it. Yeah, I am too. Um, I think she started a mob war. Man, this is an intense scene. Yeah. Between this shyster and Betty Cooper. Yeah. She and... uh, It's so... Like, she brought him into this, right? Yeah. Despite everything he's done in this situation... She did cause this, and she is okay. going to end What's this. What's that dude wearing? Yeah. It's gotta be Hal Cooper. I want to see if the jacket's the same. If I had money to put, I would put it on it, that being Hal Cooper. <laughs> also. Um, is it your very own angel of death? Black Hood. Hal's, um, Black Hood's body language. Okay, no, it's, it's different it's clothes. A, it's different clothes. Yeah. But that could mean anything. Yeah. Um. There's a brief moment where the Black Hood processes what's happening as as she sends Chick running. That looks to me as if she surprised the Black Hood. And that is super interesting to me. 70% chance. Really, you should start running. Yeah. So cold. So... 60... Ugh! I think it is Hal Cooper. 
walk. It looks like Hal's walk. Yeah. Uh, that could be just. And he pulls the sad the face, and then immediately turns yeah. his face and, and has it. And for a split second, you yeah. feel a little sorry for this character who clearly has been running from something his whole life. Yeah, and who who took an opportunity. Who didn't, like, he's he, he may be guilty for for killing the real Charles. Yeah. But he only said yes and got out of bad situations, right? Yeah. Like, Chick didn't put himself here. Honestly, Betty did. Yeah. And Chick did bad things. But it's not actually his mess here that saw him running from a serial killer. He has no. become a pawn in something else. Yeah. Well, Deputy Mayor has demanded I step down as sheriff. There. that one coming. Yeah. Kevin, sweet, sweet, sweet child. Poor, poor, poor Kevin. I want to protect him. Yeah, I'll come pay for this damage 24-7. You can't desert your post in the middle of a crisis. I, I will say, I've I've never had a better TV avatar than sad, confused, optimistic, gay, small-town kid uh, aggressively trying to fix things by volunteering on a political campaign. <laughs> um, I identify with that a whole bunch. Also, here's Veronica with a literal pile of old hard cash. And her parents just like, what did you do? But also, like, what do they expect? <laughs> yep. This is how you raised your kid. Yep. This is on y'all, Lodge parents. Um, good work. Um, yeah. I like that they are realizing they that their daughter is, is outplaying them at their own yeah. game. Even though she doesn't, you know, she opened up a whole new tier, right? Yeah. This scene was interesting. Archie and Hiram. This is interesting because Archie is nice. Yeah. While also being scary. It's almost like he doesn't realize that Hiram left him out to dry. I, I don't think Veronica told him that. Um, yeah. I don't yeah. think she was ready to set her side fully against her parents in that way, right? Because as far as she knows, this is resolution, right? This is the end of this fight. Yeah. And Veronica, I think here, thinks she ended it and won. Oh, no. I don't think anyone else thinks that, but yeah. Um, the one singular plot thing that rang slightly odd to me is that Archie could earn his mob position by murdering a random serial killer yeah. rather than doing a, a hit that is not personal for him, but rather on behalf of the family. I mean, that is... How what I would expect a mob hit to be like? Yeah. Okay, so yes, here's yeah. the ominous scene that gave me the plot point that I've been calling for for half a season. Betty comes home. I took Chick away. Her and Alice lie so coolly to each other for each other's protection. Yeah. It's like they're being so honest and real with each other, but they don't flinch when they lie. Yeah. So interesting. I love that Alice earlier in this episode briefly leaned into the whole, the religi religiosity that was introduced with her character in yeah. Crisis as well. And like, ugh, where did you take Chick? Mm. Took him to the bus station. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. 
Betty's just lying to everyone, but... Oh. Gosh, Betty must feel lonely in this episode. And then... Where's Where? Hal Cooper? Where's Dad? Who am I looking for you? And Betty realizes... Dum 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 ba 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 bum No <laughs> And it's also, Hal Cooper We are in such hope that it is Hal Cooper. Oh. We are in such hope. It's gotta be. I mean it could not be. I would believe it if it's not. I believe it could be a fake out. We're close enough that it could be or it could not be. Yeah. Ah, but it could be, and then Hal would be gone forever, and then we would get beautiful emotional processing scenes all next season from Betty and Madchen, Betty yeah. and Alice and Madchen and Lily, and all of them dealing, and then Lily, n- not not Lily, um, and then Jughead's family and FP and FP and Alice can get together, and Jughead and Betty can deal with the fact that they're par- they're step siblings now, and then it could be a whole thing with lots of feelings and lots of emotions and lots of acting for Madchen. Too- it's gonna. Yes, all those things. It's gonna get so soapy, though, if Jughead and Betty find out, oh, well, whatever, they had, like, cousins getting together earlier, I guess. It's really not that big a deal. I am still watching Grey's Anatomy after 14 seasons. I'm here for a little melodrama. (laughs) Fair. (sighs) Well. That was an episode. That was an episode. I don't think there was a moment in that episode that wasn't plot-based. I don't think there was a moment in that episode that I looked away as well. Hmm. I felt with it for this whole episode. Tiny hiccups, as always, but good job, Riverdale. Yeah. Um, We liked it. This week highlights all the more for me how many things were kind of shaky last week, actually. <laughs> um, last week was a bit of a, hey a, a bit of a gum and duct tape shoestring episode, to be honest. I really think there was a bit that was a little bit loose and sloppy in, in last week's episode. In the musical episode? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think that much, much more after watching this week's tightly done, well done, tightly plotted, sp- well, well, well paced out episode. With not a moment of bad yeah. dub over. Because we, like, we, like... Riverdale, you showed your hand. We know how good you can write now. We know <laughs> yep. how good the television can be. I would put this in the like in the top couple episodes this this season easily. Um, it doesn't top Halloween for me, but I think it might with maturation. Mm-hmm. I think when I come back to the show in a few years, this will be a landmark episode that I rewatch that I look to as representative of the show's best work. I strongly suspect fair yeah cool cool i'm psyched for next week um especially if we get more of this i'm almost like dismayed that it can't live up to this consistency (laughs) i know it won't well how many episodes have we got left i think we've got four left i might be wrong there are three or four um we're on 19, so I think we've got 20, 21, 22. We've got three left. So they, theoretically, they could all be this good. There's only three left. It's possible. Let's hope. Let us hope. Man, I I know that they're signed on for a third season. Mm. So I'm... Guess so are we. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm here for, like, 
television that good for another season. Mm-hmm. Totally. Like, I feel like you've earned it now, Riverdale. Like, if, yes. you're, if you're Buffy, mm-hmm. the third season of Buffy is the season that got really good. Mm. And then the fourth season was even better. The fifth season was even better. The sixth season was mind-blowing. Right. I'm in the middle of season seven, so I don't know what happens next, but so far it's pretty good. Anyway, um, and the first two seasons of Buffy were, like, a little more uneven. Right. Mm. Um, in a way that Riverdale even wasn't. So pull yeah. a Buffy. Yeah. Creep me out, do pull, give me a hush, give me a, what else was good? What was that other episode that was really excellent? Give me a, just give me a hush and I'll be happy, honestly. If they can keep the writing interesting, here's, here's, here's the thing. Hire me, I'll write Running, running TV shows, I really think it's by their third season, fourth season, fifth season, it'll start to show, can the writing and the development keep up with the production schedule? That's the challenge to right. me, uh, I think. Um, I, I know I lean heavily into Glee because I think it's a great parallel to draw what can be done on TV you know, seven or eight years later uh, mm-hmm. in, a, in a very similar genre. Um, but Glee fell apart when their production schedule ramped up when their seasons were ordered with more episodes. Oh. Um, the first half season of Glee is the tightest and I really think that's because they spend years developing it. And then suddenly they had three months to develop yeah, it's the so- same like number. Yeah, it's sophomore syndrome, but later. Exactly. Um, yeah. I, I'm interested to see if Riverdale develops that coming into the next season. If they, or if they know, if they know what they're doing. And if they're, if there's, yeah. if I see the seeds of things being set up this season and next season, that'll be a really good indicator for me that they are thinking long-term. Yeah. Um, I think what a, a common killer of a good show is a studio asking for more success. You know, hmm. a show that outstrips itself. Um, oh, like, uh, like Down Abbey? Yeah. Down Abbey. I think That's a good example. That's a very good example. Super tight first season with creative, diverse, interesting plot lines that then fell into its own tropes of their yeah. own invention within a few seasons. Yeah. Um, this I mean, is... But the second season of Down Abbey was like literally, un- like, not a disaster, but like... Yeah. <laughs> the third yeah. season was incredible. I love the third season. Yeah. The second season was taking the show and shaking it until all the seams started to crack. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Um, totally tangential, but a really cute meme going around Vancouver Facebook, um, points out that, um, so we're, oh. we're pretty activist <laughs> out here. Uh, there's a major pipeline that is being resisted by the town and community in First Nations in BC a lot and the government. Um, it was pointed out that this projected pipeline that must happen by certain voices uh would have economic benefits of about 50 million to vancouver riverdale brings in 60 million a year economic benefits yes archie's more important than the pipeline thank you for being more important than oil Mm -hmm. if the kinder morgan pipeline goes through um i will not be on this podcast anymore because i will be busy getting arrested frankly (laughs) i'm 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 dead serious i will lie down in front of those trucks if that's what it takes because it's just not Mm-hmm. You and okay. I mean, I mean almost almost two hundred people already it's, have been not, arrested. Locking this, me. yeah. People have already been yep. getting arrested. A friend of mine who like works in the um, mm-hmm. 
environmental activism slash like charity sector mm-hmm. um not for profit sector is actually the word i was looking for was saying like mm. now is not the right time to be arrested save your arrest for later right this fight um, this fight's not done yeah. Like Elizabeth May, uh, one of our, our sitting MPs and the leader of the Green Party, getting arrested. Yeah. That was a heck of a statement. Yeah. And um, Anglican priests have been arrested now as well. Yeah, a lot of faith leaders. In addition to all, up. just to point out, in addition to all of the indigenous activists who yeah. don't get any press when yeah. they're arrested. And very, very importantly, this protest in Burnaby is indigenous led. Yeah. Um, the protests in central uh, BC are entirely indigenous-led, with a lot less support from other communities and yeah. settler communities. Um, yeah, for anyone who doesn't live here, the the land acknowledgement that we do at the end of every episode, um, the leaders of those First Nations are the mm-hmm. people leading this this um, uh, resistance. Yes, as well as several interior nations, yeah. uh, including some members of nations which have signed agreements with this yeah. pipeline, who dissent with their leadership. Um, but yeah, there are several protest camps that are getting significantly less press in the interior. Um, right now, and it is a matter of, um, First Nations protesters are so much more at risk being arrested by the police at these protests. Um, and I think the reason these faith leaders and, and activists are being arrested right now is they are literally standing in front in a necessary way to take this hit first. Because it's much easier for a sitting MP to absorb the blow of being arrested, uh, you know, by RCMP who a moment before were were legally mandated to protect her, are then suddenly obliged to arrest her. That is, you know, they're going to handle her gently, yeah. in a way that may not happen with um, with yeah. uh, activists of color, with indigenous activists. Yeah. Yeah, um, I went to the the sort of first launch day. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we marched from uh, a SkyTrain station up to um, the watch house that um, has been built there to keep an eye on the enemy, mm-hmm. <laughs> literally. Yeah. And um, there was a chief there from Standing Rock who gave a speech. And, um, yeah, stuff's... Stuff's gonna get ugly in this part of the world. If not that it isn't already ugly, but it's gonna be get ugly in a way that no one can ignore. Yeah, ugliness that exists yeah. in a lot of other world places in the world that we've been very sheltered from. In in you know in Vancouver, Canada, one of the most liberal bastions in the world, arguably by our, um, yeah. you know, we've got loads of problems, but relatively speaking, there's a lot we are safe from, especially we as white presenting settlers. Yeah. Who pass for fairly straightish a lot of the time. Sometimes. Yeah, I don't know. When we're not trying. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, long story short is we prefer Riverdale. Let's have more Riverdales. Yeah. And, like, that moment when Tony Topaz, like, marched up to Hiram Lodge and did mm-hmm. the thing, that's, like, I think that was meaningful for me because it, like, that mm-hmm. is shot... Here. Here. Yeah. While this is going on. Mm-hmm. And this is a, you know, a television show about american teenagers mm-hmm. and it has absolutely no reflection on reality yeah. but i still appreciated that um, moment especially right now when the american president is saying hey let's reconsider these entitlements we are giving first nations uh ignoring the yeah. fact that those are paid in full uh at the time of colonization and then some mm-hmm. for all of those benefits and health care those are a delayed payment a mortgage yeah um yeah, I, for for those of you who might be unfamiliar with land acknowledgments, um, a friend pointed out uh, this week 
um, that in this town, in this community, it's becoming route. Yes. Um, and that there, oh, is, there is a poetry... Rote, yes. Yeah. Thank you. There is a poetry and and um, purpose and meaning underlying those words that um, we can very quickly forget. Um, a land acknowledgement, for me, means saying this is not the legal territory of Canada. I am, I'm, I'm actually in, in another nation that, and how we negotiate that, um, is ongoingly difficult, right? Yeah. We have to be careful not to let the land acknowledgement, I think, become a way for occupiers to make themselves feel safe Mm -hmm. by, by just saying the words, Mm -hmm. you know, and exactly we should say the words because the words matter, but but they have to matter every single time we say them. And, and, um, yeah, I guess to let those of you who are probably less familiar with this, I don't know how, um, how that, uh, activist tool has proliferated outside of the Vancouver community or, or the arts community. Um, it actually, I, I'm actually can speak to that. Um, mm-hmm. I had a birthday party, um, a couple weeks ago that Ryan was at, that mm-hmm. was, um, basically a series of entertainments rolled into one. And it was a fundraiser for, um, Raven Trust who, um, uh, help fund, um, indigenous land claims mm. and like the lawsuits and, mm-hmm. um, we did a land acknowledgement at it because mm-hmm. um, Anna and I, like, I'm from an arts background and Anna's from an activist background, and that's a very common thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I was at the lunch table um, the following Monday, and mm-hmm. one of my coworkers said, I thought it was so cool that you did a land acknowledgement. Like, mm-hmm. it was really unusual for her yeah. to hear it. Yeah. And, and I think, like, we have, like, we have a job where that, like, it's not like we walked in there the first day and, like, every time there's a, there's, like, a, a business meeting, the mm-hmm. CEO says, I would just like to acknowledge that we're in the un- unceded territory of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish. Wait, does, does that happen? No. Okay, yeah, it that does doesn't happen. happen. It does not Whereas happen. in theater, in my job in theater, in yeah. every contract, uh, I think we've normalized it in our community now that um, I've seen actors rebel and quit shows because an artistic director refused to include a land acknowledgement. Yeah. And those are the stakes that, you know, generationally we have come to understand um, the value of, and necessity of this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's slowly saturating as a thing. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's giving space. Uh, it's holding space and giving space in a way that's important. Yeah. Um, did you, uh, I know the, the post that Ryan is making reference to. Mm-hmm. And in it, our Guest friend, Laura, who yeah, you've met. Guest Laura. Uh, yes, um, and in it, Laura called for people to do land acknowledgments in similar ways to Molly, who's the poet. Mm. I forget Molly's last name. Mm-hmm. Um, starts with a B, but that's all I can remember. Mm-hmm. Lovely poet. They, their pronouns. Um, and uh, I, I don't really know quite what that looks like, but mm-hmm. should we make an attempt? Um, for me, this is this is that attempt. Um, oh, I good. Poetry doesn't come super easy to me. Yeah. Um, intellectual discourse, uh, mm. intellectualizing things, that's how I give space to something. So yeah. this is this is my attempt at um, bringing that extra weight and meaning, um, having a wider conversation about something that I realize we took for granted in our in our process mm-hmm. that um, you all might understand. So uh, welcome in to that uh, to that circle yeah. of people who. Um, have been told what that means once. And um, honestly, that's a little bit of a, an obligation on y'all now that I'm 
ha- comfortably putting forward, um, you've now heard what a land acknowledgement is. I invite you all to look a little further. Um, what nations w- live in your town, in your land, in your home? What nations do you live on if you are in North America? Um, who was there? There is a wonderful is resource there? for this. Um, mm-hmm. It is, it is in fact, made by a settler, but it was introduced to me by a Facebook group, which is Indigenous-led mm. and run. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'm, I, from what I was reading about the post, um, it is um, quite accurate in, mm. in terms, in, in, it's very much in line with oral traditions. Are we thinking about the same land map? I think we're uh, thinking about the same land map that maybe Ryan mm-hmm. can post in the in the uh, thingy on the website. Yeah, let's see if we can find that. Yeah, I know, I have it. Slightly Uh, tangential to Riverdale, but always important. But it isn't, because of Tony Topaz and the serpents. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Dang, Riverdale. Even Riverdale's tackling... Good uh, job. Colonization. Um, My land Mm -hmm. acknowledgement, um, something I've been trying to do... More and more is my fam, uh, my mom's side of the family. Um, uh, when I was growing up, we would say that we were fifth generation Vancouverites. It's very unusual. Mm. Vancouver is a very young town, mm-hmm. and um, my family's buried here. I have family in the ground here, um, mm-hmm. and it's the only home that like is in living memory, really, for for me on my mother's side. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, what I've been trying to say now instead is um, my my family have been guests here for five generations. Mm. Um, uh, uninvited guests <laughs> mm-hmm. for five generations um and um that uh gives me a sense of place that um acknowledges also mm-hmm. uh the place i'm in i hope yeah to a certain extent i don't have a poem about it <laughs> by any means but um yeah uh, we've been in fact we've been living on musqueam territory for Almost four generations, or for three generations now, because mm-hmm. my grandparents have lived on Musqueam territory at Sixth and Blanca, right near the university, um, for sixty years. Yeah, I yeah. I grew up in Woodlands Cree territory, uh, traditional nomadic territory, um, and I think my my great grandfather homesteaded there in the like probably thirties or forties or so. Mm-hmm. And that's still where my family owns lands, and mm-hmm. I will eventually own lands, and yeah. and that's a thing for future me to negotiate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, this podcast is shot on, or recorded on, and Riverdale is shot on, unceded Tsleil-Waututh, Musqueam, and Squamish territory. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I think some of it's shot out in the valley, and I don't know what hmm. indigenous group uh, lives in... The Fraser Valley. Well, we're going to have to dig a little reference into that map yeah. when we find it, Chloe. So we're going to have to find that out. Yeah. Um, I hope you can find something exciting and interesting out about uh, the land where you are as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll see you next week. Three more episodes. We had a political tangent, but it's all because Riverdale is worth more than Kinder Morgan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'll also quickly mention there is a passing question about uh, if we are going to be talking about the chilling adventures of Sabrina, the the uh, Sabrina Teenage Witch, the chilling adventures of Sabrina. I forget what the title is exactly. Uh, we will not. Um, we might mention it in passing. We might watch it casually. Yeah, we um, might have a show that we just enjoy. <laughs> yeah, but um, there is another Thunderquack uh, Network podcast. Coming on to cover Sabrina. 
Um, so please check them out. I believe they're linked on our Facebook somewhere other in the comments. The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina podcast. It's the title of the show with podcast. We we um we were able to get that get on that real yeah. early. So um if you are also going to be co-watching, um I think we we certainly hope to be the crossover that the show refuses to give us at some point. Um, <laughs> Personally, I kind of want to swap podcasts for a week at some point That'd be when fun. the seasons overlap. And that would be super fun. Yeah. We're going to be watching each other's shows. We are. So, um, yeah, that's up and coming. All right. Till next week, gang. Bye.